you know, we looked at the passage, obviously it's about forgiveness, right? And I think Jesus put this passage in the Bible, Jesus taught these things because naturally we don't want to forgive other people. Uh, we like to hold grudges, uh, we, we let bitterness build up, resentment build up, we, we like to take justice into our own hands. You know, if, if somebody uh, does something to us, we want to make sure they get what's coming to them. You know, you're going to get yours or you're going to get what's coming to you, things like that. It's, we're kind of like this elephant in the picture behind us a little bit. You know, we, 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 we're like this vengeful elephant. You know, you've heard that phrase, elephants never forget, right? Well, this elephant never forgets and he never forgives. Sometimes we can kind of be like this vengeful elephant on the screen behind me. Hey, you guys, maybe some of you are in a bad mood this morning because somebody said something to you on the way out of the house or, you know, somebody did something uh, last night or somebody didn't do the dishes and you're just, you know, perturbed and you're a, bit, a little bit annoyed with, with somebody in your family or something like that. Or you may have suffered uh, a great injustice at some point in your life. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of, of stories of, of horrible things that I've heard that have been done to people. Of, you know, spouses that have been cheated on, people sexually abused as children, investors cheated out of their life savings, uh, kids who were bullied their entire lives. There's all kinds of injustices that go on in the world. And, and many of you in here, I'm sure, have been hurt deeply. I know I have had uh, some, some traumatic experiences in my past. Um, one particular one where I was hurt deeply. Uh, and so I know how difficult that can be. But why is it so hard to forgive the people that do things like that to us? Whether it's something great, a great injustice, or whether it's somebody that's just getting on your nerves. Why is it so hard? Why should we forgive other people that don't even deserve to be forgiven? And they didn't do anything to deserve our forgiveness. Why should we? But Jesus tells us to do some some uh, his commands to forgive and to love our enemies, they're easy to apply to other people, aren't they? It's easy to apply that to other people and say, hey, you should love your enemy. But it's a little bit harder to apply it to our own selves, right? A little bit harder to apply it to ourselves. It's a little harder when we find ourselves in a position where we need to be the ones that forgive. I was reading Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 38 and 39. Earlier this week, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying common knowledge or, you know, what society does, what society says is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Tit for tat. You punch me in the mouth, I punch you in the mouth. You steal from me, I steal from you. But I say to you, do not resist the person who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. And then he goes on in verse 43 and 44 and he says again, he says, you have heard that it was said. So again, here, here Jesus saying, society teaches you, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's just normal, right? We love our neighbor and we hate our enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Romans, and get this, Paul tells, actually tells the Romans, uh, the Roman church, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. So the Bible actually tells us that we should give gifts to our enemies. Like we should, we should give them, we should help them. We should lavish gifts on them. What? Like how in the world are we supposed to do that? Why would we possibly want to do something like that? How is it possible? 
I've told you guys before that the kingdom of God is not of this world. It's a different type of kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. So the story that we looked at this morning, it illustrates the gospel for us. And if you're watching online, there might be like three people doing that. It's in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. It's a story that we, we discovered together uh, just a moment ago. And the story illustrates the gospel for us, the story that we just looked at. And there's really two things, two reasons uh, that this story gives us that it is possible and right for us to forgive others. There's two reasons. Right? Number one, and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through those. So reason number one is that the mercy of God makes it possible and right to forgive others. The mercy of God makes it possible and right to forgive others. So in the parable, the first servant is in debt to the master. And it says 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents today would be the equivalent of about $6 billion. $6 billion. So what Jesus is really doing here is he's using hyperbole. He's using an exaggerated example to prove a point. What's his point? It's an incalculable debt. There's no way that it could ever possibly pay, be paid back. Jesus is trying to say that this servant owed the master a debt so big, he didn't have a chance to pay it back. It was impossible. So the only option that he had was to be sold into slavery. That was his only option. Him, his household, and all of his belongings. He had to pay for this debt with his life. And every one of us owes this debt to God. It's called our sin debt. It's an incalculable debt that we can't pay. The debt that your sin and my sin have incurred is so great that we could never possibly pay it off. Our only hope is to beg the Master for mercy. Otherwise, we're destined to pay this debt with our lives. So what happens next in the story is pretty astounding. Look at verse 26 and 27. This incalculable debt, and here's what happens. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him everything. He forgave the debt. The master forgave the entire debt. So the master doesn't just give him more time. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to give you a couple more years to try to pay off this debt, but then I'm going to come knocking again. He just erases it all. He decides, you know what? I'm going to take the ledger. I'm going to take the debt that, we, that you owed, and we're just going to pretend like it never happened. It's gone. I'm paying it. You're free. Completely erases the debt. Think about what that would be like. Like what if you had a debt so tremendous that it was hopeless for you to pay it back? There was no way you were ever going to be able to get ahead. There's no debt consolidation plan that you're going to be able to do. There's no, you know, going and taking out a loan. You can't pay it back. And then, all of a sudden, just like that, it's erased. The master forgives it. And it's gone. Maybe you've been in serious financial debt before or you've known somebody that's been in serious financial debt before. What if all the creditors just came to you one day and said, hey, you know that debt that you have? We're just going to erase it. Oh, and your credit score? It's restored. Perfect. Perfect credit score. What would that feel like? It would feel pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That's, that's what this is. That's exactly what's happening here, except times a million. And we're not just talking about a credit score. We're talking about eternal life. There's a, there's a few things about God's mercy to point out here in this passage. And remember, Jesus prefaced this message with the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is telling this story to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. So first thing we see about 
God's mercy here is that the debt that we owe because of our sin is massive. We have a longing for justice on our enemies. We want other people to get what they deserve, but the reality is that without mercy, this world would go to absolute chaos. If everyone got what they deserve, there wouldn't be a world left. You know why? Because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You owe the same debt to God that your enemy owes to God. If we all got what we deserved, we would all get death. Not just your enemy, but you. Without mercy, there would be no world. The very fact that this world even still exists is evidence of God's mercy. Number two, it's impossible for us to pay this debt. I saw a quote uh, by Tim Keller the other day. Uh, I was reading online looking at this quote from Tim Keller, and this is what it says. It says, If there is a God, we owe Him far more than a morally decent life. Think about that. If there really is a God, we owe Him far more than a morally decent life. I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and he told me, well, you know, I know, I believe that God is real, but I think He just wants me to be a good person. And I hear that all the time. But if there's a God, we owe Him far more than just being a pretty good person. Doing more good than bad doesn't please God. It's not enough. And God doesn't just sweep our past sins under the rug. A lot of times we like to kind of forget about the things that we've done in the past. And we think that, that those things just kind of go off into oblivion and nobody's ever going to bring them up again. All the things that we've done in our past. But the reality is, is that sin is like charging a credit card. It's like charging a credit card. And every time we do it, that credit card gets charged and it keeps building up and building debt. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 says, Because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you're storing up wrath for yourself on judgment day. So it's like there's this ledger and those things aren't being forgotten. We just keep accumulating massive debt and it keeps piling on top and piling on top and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it's not getting forgotten. It will all be dealt with and brought to light on Judgment Day. The Bible is very clear about that. So that's what makes the third thing that we see about God's mercy here even more amazing. Despite the fact that you're charging your credit card of sin over and over and you're building up this massive debt that there's no way you could ever pay back. You can't just pay it back by being a pretty good person from here on out. Something's got to happen with that sin in the past. Something's got to happen with that sin you're going to commit today and tomorrow. Somebody's got to pay for it. So that's what makes this point amazing. God provided the payment for our sin, for our sin debt, and He paid it Himself. Because it's impossible for us to pay the debt, God, God not only had to take the initiative to offer the opportunity for our debt to be paid, God had to pay the debt Himself. I want to teach you a new word. Uh, for some of you, this might be a new word. It's a word called propitiation. Propitiation basically means it's a gift that is given to satisfy the anger of God. Or, it's, or it could also be translated a sacrifice. It's a gift that's given to satisfy the anger of God, to satisfy a debt. That's where the gospel comes in. Someone has to pay for your sin. 
You deserve to pay for your sin. I deserve to pay for my sin. But because God is merciful, He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and died to pay your sin debt. That's why Jesus came. On the cross, Jesus paid your sin debt. That is really, really good news. That's really good news. You know that example from earlier, the, the example that we talked about, about having your credit history totally wiped away? That really happened. Except we're not talking about your credit score. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about your sin debt. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 puts it like this. It says, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice or the gift that appeased God's wrath that we deserved for our sin. Jesus assumed that incalculable debt that you and I owed. Jesus took your sin. Jesus took your punishment. Colossians 2.14, I love how the book of Colossians puts it. It says that God canceled the record of the debt against us, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So that record of debt that stood against you, all that debt that you've been piling up, Jesus set it aside, God set it aside, and he nailed it to the cross. Those nails that went into Jesus' hands, those nails that went into Jesus' feet, that was God nailing your debt to the cross and saying, it's finished. It's no more. Your debt, if you're in Christ, your debt died with Jesus Christ on that cross that day. Did you know that? Your guilt died with Jesus Christ on that cross that day. Did you know that? It died. It's gone. That's really good news for us. Stop and think about what it costs God to forgive your sin debt. Think about that. What, think about what it costs God to forgive your sin debt. And then think about what it would cost to forgive the person who has wronged you. What would it cost you to forgive that person? How do they compare? How do they compare? Now, despite receiving this amazing grace, this kind of grace that we just talked about, look how the servant responds. Look what he does next. In verse 28 says, when that, servant, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I love, Beth just pointed this out just earlier. He didn't just happen to come across this fellow servant. He went looking for him. Did you notice that? He went and found the person that owed him and he made sure he was going to get retribution. So it says, he found a fellow servant that owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and he pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. Sound familiar? And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Do you see now how what the first servant did to his fellow servant is so wicked? When we think about the mercy that the first servant received. If we have any doubt about how God feels at, about unforgiveness, all we have to do is look at verses 32 to 34 of this passage. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Here's the thing. Unforgiveness 
isn't just a struggle we need to work on. It's wickedness we need to repent of. Unforgiveness is not just a struggle that we need to work on. Something that, well, I know I need to work on that. I need to get better. I, I struggle with that sometimes. I hear that all the time. People talk about their sin like it's just a struggle. No, it's wickedness. Stop. Ask God to change your heart. I mean, if we've been forgiven like this, who are we to withhold that same forgiveness from other people? You see, the bottom line is this. It's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven if we're unwilling to forgive others. And that's what the message of this parable is. If God has mercifully forgiven your debt, which is so great, how can you withhold forgiveness from another, which in comparison to what we've been forgiven of is so small? No matter what they did to you, no matter what that person did to you, I can guarantee you, they didn't sin against you as great as you've sinned against God. And if you think that, they, if you think that it is, if you think what the other person did to you is greater then you don't understand yet the depth of your own sinfulness. You don't understand the depth of your own sinfulness yet. You don't understand just how much you've been forgiven of, which means you don't understand how great God's mercy is yet. And that's what it really boils down to. You need a revelation of just how great God's mercy towards you is. That's how your heart's going to be changed to forgive other people when you understand how much mercy you have personally received from God. See, mercy like that, changes people. It's transformational mercy. Now I know that some of you in this room have had some terrible things happen to you. Like really, really bad things. So does God just ask us to forget about that? Does He just say, oh, you know, let it go. Stop, stop pitching a fit about it. Don't worry about it. I mean, is there no justice? Is there no justice? Well, there is justice. And this leads us to our second point. Point number one, God's mercy makes it uh, right and possible to forgive others. Number two, God's wrath makes it right and possible for us to forgive others. Now that might sound strange to you when you first hear it, but I think you'll understand as we go on. Remember that gift of Jesus' sacrifice that we talked about? Well, that gift must be received. If I send you an expensive gift in the mail, like, I don't know what it would be, but a really expensive gift, and I send it to you in the mail, and it arrives at your door, but you refuse to open it, and instead you return it to the sender, does that gift do you any good? Did you benefit from that gift in any way? Did that gift change you or change your life in any way? No. I offered that gift. I even sent you the gift to your door, but you didn't receive the gift. So what happens if we don't receive... Jesus' gift. What happens if we don't receive Jesus? What happens if Jesus does not take the punishment for your sins? Well, John 3.36 sums it up, I think, better than any other passage could. And I forgot to mark it in my Bible. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. That phrase means that the wrath of God is coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says that Jesus, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. So the wrath of God means that God sees the injustice that's done to you. And injustice makes God angry. God hates injustice. Some people might not like the idea of an angry God 
But try telling that to the woman who's been raped, or the father whose son was murdered, or the person who was abused or abandoned by their parents, or the people group whose country was ransacked and they were pillaged and evicted from their homes. It's right for God to be angry at injustice. In fact, it would be evil for God to be indifferent towards injustice. God hates evil. And you know what? I'm glad that He does. Because I hate evil too. God is not okay with evil and He's not just going to let evil slide. See, the other reason that you can forgive no matter how great of an evil you have suffered is because justice is in God's hands. Romans 12, 19-21, Paul's writing to the church in Romans and he says this. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Justice is in God's hands, not our hands. It's not ours to take vengeance on our enemies. God sees and God knows the injustice that you suffered. You see, one way or another, all sin is going to be punished. All sin is going to be punished. God is going to right that wrong that you suffered. He will right it. It might not seem like He's done it right now. It might not seem like God can see or that God can hear, but He has promised that there will come a day, and it's called Judgment Day, when every injustice, everything done in secret, it will all come to light. And God is going to right every wrong, and His wrath is going to be poured out on sin. But anybody who is inside Jesus Christ, get this, has, Jesus has already taken all that wrath that you deserved for your sin. Jesus took it in your place. God is going to right the wrongs done to you, and He's going to right the wrongs done by you. And either Jesus will take that wrath, or the sinner will take that wrath on Judgment Day. Which means that you can let go. You don't have to hold that grudge anymore. You don't have to carry that anger with you anymore, like a cloud over your head. God sees and God knows. This is how the beauty of the gospel frees us from the chains of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness that we carry with us throughout our lives. God's wrath poured out on Jesus on the cross shows us that God will right every injustice done to you. And God's love that was shown on the cross when He punished Jesus in your place is the power that changes our hearts and enables us to extend that same mercy towards our enemies. Since that forgiveness is offered to you, should you not also offer it to your enemy? I used to be a very angry person before I became a Christian. So you could cut me off in traffic and that was enough to make me want to fight. Um, I, was ready to, I was ready to fight people if they even you know, like disrespected me in the littlest way. But God broke me. And He showed me how sinful I really was. And then He showed me how merciful he was towards me. So when a close friend of mine who was a fellow Christian betrayed me a few months after I became a Christian, I responded much differently than I would have in the past. And I'll admit I was angry. When I first heard about it, I was angry. But I'll never forget that conversation that we had the next day. We had a mediator, a person who was, you know, kind of uh, 
you know, helping smooth things over. And I remember sitting across the table for him and looking him in the eyes. And I said, I forgive you. And I really did. I really meant it. It wasn't just because I was trying to, you know, say something to make somebody happy. I really forgave him. And it was strange because unlike in the past, all of a sudden that anger didn't control me anymore. I understood that justice was in God's hands and I understood that I had, I had wronged God far greater than my friend had wronged me in betraying me. And so I was able to forgive him and never carry it around with me, not a single day. Never carry it around that bitterness or resentment. Only God can change our hearts so that we can love our enemies and forgive those who persecute us. It is only when we understand the true nature of the gospel, how Jesus loved us and gave himself for us while we were still his enemies, that we can forgive somebody from the heart. So look, the implications of this parable that we looked at, looked at today, they're serious. They're serious implications. It's not okay to continue in bitterness and unforgiveness. It's not okay. The unforgiving servant who wouldn't forgive his fellow servant showed that he had never truly received or appreciated his master's forgiveness. He showed that by his actions. Is there someone in your life that you have not forgiven from the heart? Is there somebody that you haven't forgiven from the heart? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to do this today. You need to first, you need to ask God to forgive you. And then, you need to go to them. And you need to forgive them. You need to reconcile with them. And you need to do it quickly. Don't put it off. Go and reconcile with that person. And ask God to help you. Ask God to change your heart. If you feel like, I, just, I don't see how I could ever forgive that person, then pray about that and ask God to change your heart towards that person and then go take that step of faith and go to them and forgive them. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespassers, trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So, Jesus takes this seriously. Those unwilling to forgive will not enter the kingdom of God. You also might be realizing today that maybe you've been holding bitterness and hatred in your heart your entire life. Maybe that kind of characterizes you. Maybe you're just an angry person and you're always kind of angry and you're always holding bitterness and resentment. Maybe you've never known this type of love, the love that would die for one's enemies. Well, that love is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And today, you can know him. Do you want to change? Do you want to be a new creation? Do you want God to change your heart from the inside out? To take that, that cold, stony heart of bitterness and resentment out and put in a heart that loves one's enemies? Well, today, you can ask God to change your heart and you can place your faith and your trust in Jesus and He'll do that today. So I'd invite you to do that, to confess your sinfulness to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you and change your heart. Um, we're going to have a couple of discussion questions up on the screen. Just two quick ones. We're going to spend about five minutes. So get with your tables and we're going to discuss these two questions. And then uh, Curtis and Josiah are going to come up. We're going to do the closing song and wrap up this morning. All right?